As you know, The Startup Life is a place where you can come to be inspired as an entrepreneur. And hopefully we are doing exactly that. However, you know how life works and things tend to mesh together. With Jay-Z's new album, 444, it provided a unique platform where entrepreneurship, social awareness, and pop culture all meshed into one. And that's why we brought in Tia Jennings and R.G. Brooks for this very special episode. You may be asking yourself, why is the episode called 445? That's because if 444 started the conversation, then 445 talks about the next steps in achieving the prosperity a community seeks. Without further ado, my name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life. Let's begin. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... You asked for it, and now it's here. Our first line of gear for The Startup Life is now available. Now you're able to tell the world not only do you support the show, but the type of entrepreneur that you are. Choose between the label yourself, create your own destiny, and how to make money t-shirts to help tell the story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We have a really special episode uh, for you on The Startup Life. You know, Jay-Z just dropped his new album, 444, and it sparked a lot of conversations on social media about the black community, economic prosperity, real estate, credit, you know, things of that nature. So I thought it was really important for us to get two of my favorite entrepreneurs on the show to kind of talk about that. First off, we have Miss Tia Jennings, awesome entrepreneur, and then we got Mr. R.G. Brooks, uh, awesome entrepreneurs. Well, how you guys doing today? I'm awesome. Hey. Good Good afternoon. Good morning. Cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. We ready to get started? Take flight with Startup Nation today? Absolutely. Let's do it. All righty. So first things first, I'm going to go with Tia. What were your initial thoughts on the Jay-Z album? Well, at first I had none. And, you know, social media is an outlet. You know, I live vicariously through the people on social media. So I woke up and I saw 444 and I'm like, are they smoking weed again? What's going on? Like, I'm seeing this everywhere. So I had to, you know, try to figure out what was going on. And then I started reading some of the lyrics and, you know, saying, I was like, oh, finally, somebody is talking about some sense in their music. Absolutely. Because, you know, I always joke with my friends, music speaks to people. Mm -hmm. And the message that was delivered, it was much needed. You know, after all of the things that we hear in music today, it, it poisons our children's minds and, you know, about the drugs and, and nobody's speaking about what Jay-Z is talking about. And that's what our black community needs to hear because hip-hop speaks to our community. So absolutely. the it fact that he's does. using this avenue to deliver this message, I was very happy to hear that. I hear so. that. I hear that. What about you, RG? Yeah, well, kind of similar to what Tia mentioned, what stood out to me was diversity. I hear um, that. And a lot of what we've seen in hip-hop is a lot of uh, homogenous kind of sound in that as hip-hop over the years, over the last few decades, became really money-driven and corporation-driven, mm. um, it's kind of had a homogenous sound. 
Um, and no, not to any of the newer you know artists. It's just artists kind of come out and they're kind of groomed to sound like the artist that just came out or has got the hottest song. And yeah, so absolutely. the hooks are the same. A lot of times they're recycling the same beats and things like that. So um, this isn't necessarily new material for for Jay Z. Um, he's spoken in, in some different levels to you know kind of a higher order kind of thinking, as Tia mentioned. But I think it really stood out because of the um, longevity of Jay Z. Uh, in terms of how long he's been a mainstream artist, and he's probably or arguably the biggest hip hop artist uh, that we've had over the last say 10, 15, 20 years. And so for him to speak out on it, his um, connection with his wife and with his family and things like that, um, I think really sparked a lot of interest and a, a lot of conversation. Yeah. So I, I hear that, <laughs> and, and I'm glad you mentioned that longevity piece and that he may be speaking. He may have been speaking about this, you know in some aspect or form uh, for a while now. Startup Nation, just to give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about today, basically two vantage points or two main issues, if you will. The first thing we're basically going to have in most of these questions are how we got to this point, really. And, you know, my favorite, what do we do next? How do we get and advance and move forward? So uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what we'll be focused on today. So how about this? And this one I'll shoot over to you, RG. Are there some things, before we can start talking about economic prosperity in the black community and moving forward, are there some things in the African-American community that we need to hold ourselves accountable for first before we can move forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Dominic, you know, there, there's you know, obviously several things, and I'll keep it brief. Um, you know, one of the things that we have to really instill in ourselves is education. And we also think that, you know, education is just formal education. Mm-hmm. So what happens is over the last few decades, baby boomers, in our, you know, in our uh, kind of faction did a great job of taking advantage of those early wins with I education where... Um, say college education was inexpensive and you could kind of go and so like most things whether it's network marketing education whatever it is the early adopters get big wins right right and then it it slowly fuses down as you go away from that Um, we've got to get back to education not just in terms of um, kind of k-12 through secondary education and then on to college we've got to get back to that organic education within our community to where um, those of us that have knowledge um, are sharing that, and then there's an accountability piece to adhering to it. I hear that. Uh, and that's a big thing that's missing is um, the uh, kind of that informal education that goes with the formal education that then transpires into the accountability on how we hold uh, our young people accountable to uh, decisions that are made. And then on the other side of that is how do we as people hold Um, whether it's elected officials or those that represent us uh, at various tables, how do we hold them accountable? Other communities do a great job of holding those folks accountable. So they put them in place Mm -hmm. and they hold them accountable. And if you don't serve our interest, we find someone else. And we're one of the few nations of people that doesn't have that. We may have seats at the table, but we don't hold them accountable to the interest of, you know, you know, that we have. So. Absolutely, absolutely. You want to t- chime in there, Tia? You know what he said. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I'm big on education. Um, ignorance is expensive, no Ain't matter how you put it, you know. <laughs> and a lot of it is systematic, and I always tell people that, oh, you're so smart, and people think that I'm so smart, and I'm like, I was born the same way that you were, you know. The ability to learn is 
it's limitless. There's so much information out here. It's our jobs to, to be accountable and to get out here and get it. And a lot of times I feel like as us in the black community, we feel like we're owed something. You know, mm-hmm. slavery and the man and all this holding us back. We have a black president. People, it's time to let it go. And I'm, I'm a good shade of brown. Mm-hmm. I've experienced racism, racism and discrimination, but it's time for us to start holding ourselves accountable for what the part that we play. The white man isn't messing up our credit. He's not being reckless with money, you know. Some things we have to own up to, and mm-hmm. that's one of those things. And there's one thing if you don't know, but there's another thing if you're not trying to learn. I hear that. And the information is here. The resources are here. It's our job to use them and to pass them down to our generation so that we stop this systematic evolution of failure in that. our in our kids. Absolutely. You know, so it, it trickles down. I hear that. That's that's powerful stuff, Tia. Thanks for sharing that. Back to you, Tia. Now, Doctor Boyce Walk. Now, before I frame this, uh, Startup Nation. Uh, you'll hear a common theme about real estate throughout this entire episode, which is why I wanted these two entrepreneurs on this episode. So with that being said, uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins says that there's three ways to attain wealth in this country. Investments, entrepreneurship, and real estate. Do you agree, disagree? Is there something he left out? Is one more important than the other one? What say you on that? He hit the nail on the head. In real estate, I spent a lot of times trying to, because my thing is the black community and building wealth. Our numbers are dramatically low in comparison to other ethnicities and trying to convince my people. Oh, yeah, you got red bottoms, you got Gucci belts, you got Hermes, you got your shirt tucked in. Mm-hmm. But none of those add value to your life, you know. And you're going to, 30 years, you're gonna, nobody plans on dying in 30 years, of course, but you're building wealth, doing something that you're going to do anyway. You need to have shelter for the duration of the time that you're going to be here. Why are you paying for somebody else's building structure when you have the means to, to have your own and build wealth for your family? It's like a built-in savings plan. I bought my first house at $80,000 and it could sell for one twenty. I wasn't doing anything but living under a shelter that I was going to be doing anyway. Right. But now we have this thing called equity. And a lot of people mm-hmm. can buy, they just don't know. You know, and again, that all falls down to education and the systematic structure that our parents set before us. My mother was a renter. I didn't know that I could buy a house, but due to the resources, the internet, all of the information that I took a hold to, you know, in my space, I was able to find out that, oh, well, I could get a house for what I'm paying for my apartment and still have somewhere, whether you want to pass it down to your kids so that they don't have to rent or if you want to sell it and invest that money, that equity that you pull out of that property into something else, it's, it's so much. And, you know, real estate is, is the stepping stone to wealth. Most people who don't own real estate are poor because they don't have real estate. Uh, and before RG uh, hops on back on the mic real quick, I feel obligated to say if you're in the Memphis area and you're looking for a co-work space, feel free to hear up my man RG Brooks at Entre Memphis uh, for that co-work space. I just want to make sure I got the check in the mail this morning, so I want to make sure I did that. But go ahead, RG, before you move forward. Thanks so much for that plug. No worries. I'm glad you did receive that check. Um, You know, Tia really, you know, and and we'll be piggybacking a lot off of each other, I'm sure, uh, as great minds think alike. Um, Tia mentioned something in terms of real estate. If you look at any portfolio of anybody that's accumulated any wealth, it includes real estate. I defy you to, to show me anybody who's accumulated wealth in this, this world, uh, on this planet Earth, that didn't include real estate. Um, so it's very important. And the three things that you mentioned, Dominic, all tie to ownership. 
I hear that. And so that's really how you accumulate wealth is ownership. And when you think of investments, um, most people think stock market or, or different things like that. All those come into play. Um, ownership is a mindset, and, and that's really what we've got to dig into. Absolutely. Kind of what Tia was mentioning in, in, in her response was we've got to shape the mindset. You know, the, there's a lot of education that's there. You know, if I want to find out about any kind of mess, right, mm-hmm. I, I, most people know where to go find it. Right. right? <laughs> you know, they go to, uh, and this is no knock on any of these folks, but if I want to find mess on a celebrity, I can go to media takeout. Mm-hmm. I can go to all these different sources, right? So people know that. Yeah. And so they do it. Right. This, this information is not new. It's been out there. And there have been people on the front lines like Tia and yourself, Dominic, and your team that um, have, have been sharing this kind of information. So it has to be a desire. Uh, there has to be, in some cases, a cool factor, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, you horse to water. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But when you look at investments, you look at entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is just owning your means of production. I hear that. Yourself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like Tia mentioned, you know, we're taught... Um, to not do that, that um, to go work for somebody else is just your primary kind of goal in life and you got to keep your head down. A lot of that stuff Slim came from... instilled in our community. Exactly. And a lot of that came from we got weary as people coming out of the 60s with all the turmoil from civil rights. Um, a lot of high-level leaders were assassinated or killed. And so we became really weary of that. And as mm-hmm. we grew from that, going into the 70s and 80s, um, it's kind of like those old Bugs Bunny cartoons where at the end they says, well, if I can't beat them, join them. Right. Right? <laughs> and so that's kind of what happened. And so as a result, we, we kind of lost some of that identity, and, and we've got to get that back. Gotcha. Thanks for sharing that. So Startup Nation, throughout the episode, we're also going to dive into a few of uh, the lyrics from uh, the Jay-Z album, in particular, the story of OJ, which is where uh, the motivation for this episode came from. So, T, I want to shoot this one to you first, because uh, you, you really hit on that credit piece earlier. In this song, he says, you want to know what's more important than throwing your way uh, your money at a strip club, and he says credit. And we had this stigma in the African-American community about credit. Yeah. So... Uh, how do we get rid of that stigma of credit being so bad and that and that it can be used and let people know that it can be used as a tool to build wealth? I always, you know, present credit to my clients as a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a game. You know, when I first bought my house, I had A1 credit. Of course, I'm financing uh, appliances. I have six to $7,000 worth of furniture, so it plummeted. Was I going to be doing anything after that? No, not for a while anyway. So my credit score plummeted, but at that time I didn't need anything. Fast forward to October, I needed to finance things for my business. So I've always, um, when I say it's systematic, I learned a lot from my mom. Not my mom, my aunt, I'm sorry. Gotcha. And the way that she budgeted and utilized her money, she always taught me that credit was important. My mom, on the other hand, not so much. She had phone bills and kids' names. You know, I watched her struggle, and I watched the way that my aunt was living, being money conscious, keeping a budget, utilizing her credit, and monitoring her credit, and cradling her credit like it was a baby because you do need credit. Um, at any given moment, I didn't know anybody who had two, $200,000, but my aunt could go out and get whatever she wanted because mm-hmm. she utilized her credit, exactly. and she monitored it and you know, she took care of her credit score, and she taught me that as a child. And to this day, I still keep the same budget that she used 40, you know, 32 years ago when I'm, you know, well, more like 25 because I was like seven watching her do that. So, yeah. So, you know, and it works. She taught me to always pay on time, 
you know, if you could pay in full, pay things off. You know, and these same rules are everywhere over the internet. People come to me all the time with subpar credit scores. What can I do to get my credit score up? What can I do? What can I do? Because now that you want to do something, your credit is important to you. It should mm-hmm. be important to you at all times. You know, that. it's a tool. And at any given time, things life happens. You may have to pay a major bill that causes you to max out your credit card. But when you get ready, it's about planning and making ready for what you need to have done. When I got ready to open up my business, I, mon- I you know, monitored my credit and I got my payments to where they needed to be so that my score could be where it needed to be to get the things that I needed because I knew that I was planning on doing something. So it's not about having perfect credit all the time. It's about doing what you're supposed to do all the time, taking care of your credit and making ready for the projects that you have. And credit is important. I, so many people say, oh, why do I need credit when I got money? You don't have that much money. And people <laughs> who are millionaires still utilize their credit. So it's Absolutely. not, you need Absolutely. credit. Absolutely. And it's a monitor of your character. Yeah. You know, they people don't know you when you are trying to get things. That's so an excellent point. That's, that's an excellent point. Base, basis at which they monitor what kind of uh, borrower you're going to be. Are you somebody who um, honors their obligations and is going to do what they say they're going to do with good payment history, never late, always on time? Or are you somebody who's reckless with their credit, maxing up everything, not paying on time, paying late when you feel like it? I wouldn't give my money to you. I wouldn't lend you any money if you didn't pay on time and you didn't care. So that's the the only judgment of character that they have to, to judge you as a person because they don't know you. So, at any rate, credit is used to judge what kind of person you are. Got you. I hear that. RG, you want to chime in there? Yeah, no, I mean, and Tia's covered so many you know, awesome points. No, just some awesome points. And I would just add that, you know, when you look at that verse, it speaks to mindset and perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's speaking of comparing, you know, your investment in credit to the strip club. So mm-hmm. take those two components real quick. Um, and I'm not uh, foreign to that. <laughs> to, I, you know, gotcha. I'm, I'm happy to admit that right. I'm not forward to investment in strip club right. uh, participation myself. <laughs> um, not today, though. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I just heard. You know, gotcha. No, but, no um, it, that's very short term, right? Right. You know, so if you go and you invest in the strip club, you're getting a very short term. Uh, enjoyment or entertainment, right? And then that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And that leaves when you leave the strip club, right? Absolutely. Until you come back again. And are you tracking what investment you're making typically when you're in the strip club? No, you're not. Absolutely. Because what happens? You're getting a bunch of ones and fives, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're going and and you're you're basically you're indulging, right? Gotcha. Credit is as Tia kind of mentioned is a long term investment. Notice your credit file opens when you're about three or four years old or so mm-hmm. when you first get your social gets registered right and then you and have it for the rest bill. of your life <laughs> yeah oh yeah you know, or, or your uncle puts the phone bill because right. he right. can't get you know at&t right. which that happened you know this happened gotcha. to me um so yeah it was funny i turned 18 and they were like whoa man you've had accounts since you know <laughs> yeah 1981 i was like i was born in 1981 right <laughs> i don't think i got any credit uh then but right it, you know there's not enough kind of going back to what we said before um, Dominic, there's not a lot, not enough uh, education uh, around it. I think you know Jay Z in that line is comparing uh, a short-term mindset to a little bit longer-term mindset uh, in terms of, uh, of building credit. And T is right; credit has some importance in a lot of different areas, and it's going to continue to grow. They're going to continue to use that. And she made a good point too of personalizing it. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody knows that you know if someone's coming to you to borrow money, what do you want to know? 
Well, you want to know, are they going to pay you back? Right. And are they going to pay you back in the time that you say you want it back? Right. And if you are desiring interest, is it going to include that interest? So, you know, this is what um, kind of trips me out about people when they talk about the banks. It's the same thing. They want to know the same thing. If you're sitting around playing PlayStation all day and you've got no income coming in, and you're going to borrow $1,000, well, how are you going to pay me my $1,000 back? Right. And if <laughs> you, you owe everybody... You didn't pay the last $1,000. Yeah, exactly. My yeah. friend gave you. Yeah, so <laughs> you owe Rico, and you, you owe John, and you owe Sue, and everybody up the street, mm-hmm. and they're all saying, yeah, he didn't pay me my $1,000. Gotcha. So now you come, well, I need $1,000 so I can pay Dominic off. And then, <laughs> you know, like, no, wait a minute, you didn't pay Dominic. Right. How are you going to pay me? Right. You know, so... All those things come into play, and I think, you know, like I said, Jay-Z really touches on it in one line. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Gotcha. Good stuff. Uh, RG, we're going to kick this one over to you with this next line. He says in the song, you ever wonder why Jewish people own all the property <laughs> in America? Now, to provide a little context, this hits a little home for me because I'm African-American, but I'm also Jewish as well. Yes. Right? And so I can tell you firsthand that outside of God and the religion itself, the community is extremely important. Yes. Some Jewish people even say it's on the same line. So when you have that reverence in a community, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have this, this sense of sticking together, always trying to invest in one another. Yes. And so when I see, you know, and like I said, being African-American Jewish, my life kind of overlaps yeah, into exactly. both sides, right? So when I see one side, then I see the other side, and I ask, you know, like, how can we get to that point as the African-American community, how can we get to the point where we're not trying to, not necessarily, we're not trying to be like, extremely like just the Jewish people itself, but how can we get to that point of like being proactive into investing into one another? Yeah, well, no, it's a, it's a great uh, question, Dominic, and one that probably baffles a lot of us. Um, and we talk about it a lot even on social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least once a week, you know, somebody posts about how can we work together and, and do more together. And um, you kind of lead to a good point of we have a lot of pessimistic mistrust amongst each other, even within our own family. It's funny. We contradict ourselves a lot. We love family when it comes time to eat. We love family when it comes time to entertain and indulge. Mm. But when it comes time for business and how we plan things for our family, we seem to get very, um, uh, we, we individualize it. We have this mindset that, well, you know, I had to work for this, so... You should have to work for this, too. You know what? It's funny you mentioned I hate to cut you off, no, but it, I think about that mindset when it comes to wills mm-hmm. and life insurance, right? It's like, yeah. you, know, we, you know, we always want to, like, entertain each other, but we're talking about, like, life insurance, you know, when somebody passes away, and then it's like, no, nah, we don't want to talk about that because we're right. talking about dying, right? right. So, you know, you, you bring up an excellent point, but go ahead. Yeah, no, but, mm-hmm. and that actually ties into the mindset because, mm-hmm. um, obviously, you're going to transition this life um, from the physical to beyond. Right. Um, that's pretty much inevitable. Right. But people get concerned about, you know, they because when they think life insurance, they don't think about their life. They're thinking about, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave this for your life. <laughs> right. And that's where it differs because in these other communities, whether it's a Jewish community or others that are a little bit more unified, they think in terms of legacy. They don't think in terms of how long am I going to hold on to it for myself. They think in terms of, how do I build this and pass it on? Because they know that, you know, all of our lives are just, it's just wind, right? It's right. just, just going to blow through. And so, you know, how do I outlive my physical life? Well, it's through my legacy. Right. And until we um, do a better job of passing that along and investing in that, 
we'll, we'll kind of be where we are. I hear that. You want to chime in there, too? I mean, I, I agree with everything that he just said. There is a lot of mistrust in the black community. If we could just all come together, it's about unity and trusting that if we're better together than we are alone. Gotcha. Um, just coming together like the Jewish community. They work together. They invest in each other. They help each other climb up different ladders and help each other make it. Us, not so much in the black community. It's a lot of, you know, friction and working against one another. If we come together, we could all, mm-hmm. it, you know, just understanding that right. there's enough for everyone. Nobody's going to beat you. Nobody's going to be richer than you. If we all come together, we can all be wealthy and well-off and save our communities and our future. Absolutely, because yeah. it, it, it speaks to a mindset like there's enough for everybody. Right? right, it's like we don't have to like you know you know compete with one another. I mean, no. healthy competition is, is good, right? But right. we don't have to, to the point where you're trying to decimate the other person. Yeah. Like we don't have to yeah. get to that point. <laughs> but go ahead. And now, you know what happens is we have the you know, and this comes a lot of times was driven by our music is mm-hmm. we have this hustler mentality. Yeah, we, we absolutely don't think do. in terms of legacy. So when we think hustler all the time, we think we always have. Uh, short on resources mm-hmm. and because I'm always short on resources and a hustler is kind of that Doggy get it by doll. any means yeah. necessary right? right so you know Malcolm helped us a lot with that statement um, there was some pain from that statement right. too um, that seeped into our mindset in the 60s which was um, by any means necessary and so by any means necessary sometimes um, causes us to think unscrupulously mm. because by any means necessary is literally by any means necessary right. Right. even if it is unscrupulous towards else. my brother or sister or, or like Tia said exactly at the expense of somebody else and it's not so much that we always do that but when that permeates your mindset you think that way I'm going old school yeah. We have to get rid of the crabs in the bucket there you mentality. Go. There you go. Gotcha. That sums <laughs> so. it up. Right. Fair enough. And, you know, Startup Nation, you know, let me let me be clear about something. All communities have their issues, right? That, that, I mean, I'm, we are not putting the Jewish community on a pedestal. We're right. just saying that there is a, you know, there's a proof of concept model that, mm-hmm. that we are seeing that works. You know, and so that we can adopt some of those similarities, not just from the Jewish community, but other communities where the Asian community, you know, uh, does, has that similar setup. If we can adopt some of those uh, those processes, we could, you know, we could really start to move forward. And also, you keep in mind that it took the Jewish community thousands of years to get there. Absolutely, um, that's very true. Um, that's very true. Know, our community, as it exists today, is only, you know, keep in mind, you know, African Americans really in this country have only been, you know quote-unquote free since about 1970. Right. So if you're looking at about 47 years compared to thousands of years absolutely uh, for other communities, we're well ahead. Trust. Very, yeah, if you were to go back and analyze other communities 47 years in. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's fair. That's, that, that's an excellent point. Thank you for saying well, that, history. RG. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Tia, for this next one, I want to provide a bit of context, okay? Uh, in 1954, the buying power of the African-American community was about $13 billion, according to the U.S. Department of Commerce. Estimates suggest now that that buying power now in our community is about $1.3 trillion. Yet the wealth gap has continued to widen in unprecedented levels. And, you, you know, you, you've seen this on social media. People talk about the reemergence of Black Wall Street trying to bring that mentality into the fold. I want to ask you, how can what what do you think happened between 1954 and now and how can we reverse that trend you think funny you should mention the word trend okay um me personally and this is just my own opinion from seeing the people that you know not so much that are in my circle but just from the outside looking in 
were low earners and big spenders. The community that I come from, it was all about looking rich. We're not taught to invest. We're taught to not look poor, try to blend in. But if you look at, you know, a, a lot of rich people, they have on Levi's. We got to go get, what is it, the monkey jeans? I don't even know what they're called. $300 <laughs> pair of jeans. Gotcha. Instead of buying a $25 pair of jeans and putting that, investing that other $275 into something that's going to grow its wealth over the long term. Right. We want to look rich and that therefore we have the buying power but we're not investing in the right things because our mentality has to be changed to think about the future, our children, you know, building wealth instead of looking rich. Right. So, I think that that has changed the mentality and you know, in 1954, we aspired to go to college. We we had that urge to want to be something because we couldn't. It was taken away from us. But now that we have this freedom, we're not utilizing what our ancestors utilized. And the things that are important have gotten away from us. Gotcha. So education and family, ownership, building our communities, you know, staying in our spaces and building them up because that's all we had. Now that we have this unparalleled access to freedom, we're just out here running wild, and we're able to buy whatever we want, but we're, we've forgotten what was important. It's funny you mention that. It's almost as if the the urge for inclusion has become the detriment, mm. right? Right. Because we were so striving to be included, be included, be included, we get included, and then we forgot ourselves almost. Yeah, what the purpose right? was. Right, yeah. so, yeah. you know, and, and, and the reason, the, 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 this question came from, uh, I saw my timeline on Facebook, there was this video called The Secret to Selling to the Negro, mm-hmm. right? And so it was pretty much this this, this document, this, uh, like, tw- it was, I think it was like a minute on Facebook, but I went into YouTube, it was like this 20-minute uh, video of things to pinpoint, and that's where it talked about the buying power, how their homeowners moving as a nuclear unit, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, excellent stuff. Thank you for and sharing you know that. what? I want to take something back. I said sure. low earners. Sure. It's not that we're low earners because okay. there are plenty of middle-class black people. Let me correct that. Mm-hmm. But in comparison to other ethnicities, I'm right. sorry. I got you. I got you. <laughs> um, we, we do spend a lot more versus investing on the scales that other ethnicities. I got you. Thanks so, for sharing that. Appreciate it. Not yeah. so much low earners. We're big spenders. I hear that. Yeah. Go ahead, RG. Yeah, well, I, I pulled out my wallet because I thought I was going to put something <laughs> in the plate. Uh, I know it's not Sunday. Right. But I know, right? I was she put was preaching away. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, 1.3, so if you look at $1.3 trillion, that would put uh, the African-American community in like the, one of the top 20 nations in the world. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it's ahead of Mexican GDP, mm-hmm. just to give you a context. So, if you think of the entire country of Mexico and what they spend from a governmental standpoint right. on everything that they do to support a nation, right, that the government spends on. Just uh, African Americans who make up 13% or so of the population mm-hmm. of America spends more than the entire country of Mexico. Mexico. Wow. So that gives you some context as to where we are and the, the power. And those that look to take advantage of the community recognize that power. Right. So if you look at a lot of things that um, are invested in, whether it's shows, music, notice that a lot of them have an African-American theme to them mm-hmm. or they're African-American represented. So we're large drivers of culture that then other cultures come in from a vulture standpoint 
and, and get involved in. Yeah. And that's where we've got to recognize it. That that one point three trillion would make us very self sustainable. If it can self sustain Mexico. Right. Right. <laughs> we we could definitely have our own self sustain. But to to Tia's point, we we invest in things. If you if you were to pull up the chart and look at the breakdown of what we invest in and what we spend that money on, mm-hmm. um, she's right. We spend a lot of it on um, kind of outward show things, a lot of and things that depreciate in value. Right. You buy it, cars, jewelry, clothing. You, know, you buy something out the store and you put it on. If you bought it for twenty dollars, ain't twenty dollars no more. Right. Once it touches your body. <laughs> right. You know. Um, versus the other things of um, that you're able to invest in that do appreciate with value, um, we just you know, we just haven't got to that point quite yet to where the cool factor is there enough. Gotcha. Right. And the reason I say that use that term cool factor is this: um, a lot of you know young people aspire to be LeBron James. Why? He looks like me. He's from where I'm from, mm-hmm. and I can see that pathway. Right. right. I can't see the pathway of someone that's getting up and, and going to uh, invest in the stock market. Yeah. That's not sexy enough. Right. Right. That, um, that doesn't get you on TV. That doesn't get you the big gold chain. That doesn't get you the money, power, and respect that I see in the neighborhood. Because in my neighborhood, the drug dealers got that. Right. Absolutely. You know, the pimps got that. The pusher, the booster. Right. They all have that. And the music is telling you that's the way to be. That's the way to come up. That's how I got my exactly. racks. That's how I got rich. So this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. But you know, so when you look at it and you go back to 1954, and you, and you mentioned Dominic even prior to that with Black Wall Street, um, that was a very insulated community. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very self-sustaining. So then, you know, what happened? Well, a uh, a very untrue, nasty rumor gets out. And it feeds on people's hate, their fear, their pessimism. Right. And so they acted on it. And so what was the one thing that Black Wall Street didn't have was defense. Mm. That was the one thing. Right. It was an insulated community, but it had no defense. Mm. Gotcha. And then if you look at what happened to our culture That's coming from the point, 50s. by the way. Yeah, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. From the 50s and 60s, you know, what happened to our leaders? Well, they were infiltrated. Right. Right. You know, how could the CIA plant bugs to listen to everything Dr. King was saying? Right. They weren't around. Right. <laughs> right. So I'll leave that at that. Fair enough. Uh, Sounds like another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Episode. So who was around? You Fair know. enough. Fair enough. Hey, Startup Nation. I hope you're getting some great value from the content from this episode. I just wanted to jump in so we can take a quick break. We got bills to pay. And once again, you're listening to The Startup Life.
If you are a teacher looking for great resources, look no further than Owls e-commerce store on Teachers Pay Teachers, the store name Teaching with Owls. Enjoy great lessons based on short stories from great authors such as Kate Choppin's The Story of an Hour and Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death. And no worries, teachers, all lessons are common core aligned. Let's continue. Let me ask you this, RG. At Owls, we you know, we have like a financial literacy course that we teach. Okay. okay and we go into schools and, you know, uh, things of that nature. And one of our selling promo videos that we made was called The Road to Wealth. Mm-hmm. And one of, and there's six points that we hit on. And the one point that we hit on uh, that's near and dear to us, me and Kenda, is finding the right partner. And so when we see the Obamas, when we see Beyonce, uh, and even Jay Z, if you will, and we see like this, this two people connected. That's yeah. like this power couple, right? Right. First of all, why are those images of them important? And also, uh, is there a way to promote the black nuclear family in a way that can create black wealth and prosperity? Yeah, absolutely. And this is one. Yeah, this is a, an excellent question, and really speaks to the heart of everything that we're we're going to discuss today. Um, so, so from my opinion, here, here's kind of what it was. So your first question in terms of why those images are held up mm-hmm. is because they're rare. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and typically in, in mainstream media, there's not a show of um, a strong African-American man and a strong African-American woman being together. You know, keep in mind what the agenda is. You know, the agenda is to divide. Right. Right. So if you show more division. Right and more um, discord and more, more contentiousness um, that feeds into the mindset, um, and a lot of things geopolitically changed at a time you know during this time that we're talking about sure. where the government stepped in and began to create that divide by providing increasing welfares and increasing things to to play on people's thought that well, I don't need him. Right. I've got, I get this check on the third, right? right? Mm-hmm. I don't need her. I, I get this. And until we um, promote more of that at the grassroots level, it's great to have it at the Obama's level, and it's great to have it at you know Jay-Z and Beyonce's level, um, but people need to be able to see that every day. I hear that. And in a lot of our communities, they don't see that. They see a lot of discord and contentiousness, which goes back to, like Tia mentioned, uh, the mistrust. Is gotcha. there, and you know every study will suggest and tell you that um, uh, stability in the home is one of the basis of beginning to build wealth. Those communities that we talked about, mm-hmm. and Dominic's exactly right. A lot of them do have a lot of issues. Um, one of the things that they learned to conquer was that um, cohesion of of the family, and of men and women that work through their differences and learn um, how to handle their anger. And to be able to channel it, right? Understanding what the end goal is. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You want to chime in there, Tia? I totally agree. With, I have no response. You gotcha. hit everything <laughs> gotcha. on the head. Fair so. Okay, fair yeah. enough. So we'll actually direct this one towards you, Tia. What role? And, and this is from a real estate aspect. What role can neighborhood associations like HOA, Neighborhood Watch, mm-hmm. play into the Black community to keep uh, not only home values? high but also to kind of build that cohesion because it, it really can like those community those things can really serve as like a meeting place to kind of get to know your neighbor if you will mm-hmm. right but uh kind of speak to how those types of organizations uh can lead towards economic prosperity i really do believe that in our communities we had community centers were really big things mm, when, when we point, were coming up Absolutely. we didn't so much well i was too 
pole to have. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't stay in areas where HOAs were prominent. Those were for the rich people from, you know, the side of the tracks that right. I'm from. Exactly. But we did have our community centers. We had, you know, we had that village. You know, we saw all of our friends, the, the counselors that were there, they actually cared. So just getting people together on a regular, consistent basis, because now HOAs are a place that tells you, you know, they monitor the properties and not so much the people. You know, are you cutting your grass? Well, if Miss Jones is sick and she's 87 years old, then, you know, I come from a community where the neighbor would cut her grass and make sure she had something to eat and, you know, go pay her bills, go to the grocery store, whatever she needed to do. So that camaraderie and that togetherness and that unity, HOAs could, you know, and not so much HOAs. You could have a, a community outreach program for kids. You know, just that, that unity that we had. It's, it's obsolete. HOAs now are somewhere you pay your fee, you go on about your business, you may go to a meeting, you may not. Mm -hmm. They do play a big part in our neighbors and our communities flourishing and, you know, coming together. It's just a lot of us are not privy to HOA. In my experience in real estate, oh, I don't want them in my business. They can't tell me how to paint my house. You know, just educating, mm -hmm. education. Right. Education, education, education. I hear that. I hear yeah. that. Go ahead, RG. Um, well, you know, and, and Tia touched on this. You know, in the mound, you know what the HOA was in the neighborhood watch? <laughs> was that? It, it was a book that lived there <laughs> on the corner house. Yeah. And uh, Miss gotcha. May on the other corner. Fair that enough. Orange that Mound. New, oh, my yeah. God. I'm going to the downtown Orange Mound Gala next week. Mm -hmm. My fiance is from Orange Mound. That is a community like I've never seen before. They stick together. They look out for each other. Everybody knows everybody's name. If I had to to speak, <laughs> they're a staple for a community because yeah. it's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, the mound is one that has remained that, and it's um, it's remained fairly seasoned, unlike other uh, areas of town. Um, yeah, it hasn't garnered the youth. Gotcha. That, um, you know, tends to have a little bit more turnover and, and mm -hmm. things like that. So there's a lot of solidified neighborhoods. Orange Mound, not to get, make this an Orange Mound deal, but Orange Mound was just more decimated by the traffic flow of, of drugs that came gotcha. uh, with the proximity to Lamar and, and you know, yeah. all those kind of things. So not to get too much into that. But, sure. But, yeah, T is exactly right that, you know, we've got to get back into each other's business in that sense. Gotcha. What happens is we become very nosy and the other aspects of people's right. lives <laughs> instead of their well-being. Right. And that's what we've got to get back to in neighborhoods to where um, we hold then our neighborhoods accountable to, even when we talk about crime and things like that, and Tia made the point, people know who's doing what. Right. right? These were all, you know, everybody birthed these kids, mm -hmm. right? Then they're, they're right there in the neighborhood. They grow up. People know who they are. Right. So, and when things happen, they're not shocked. They know pretty much who did, who's doing what. There's just got to be an accountability factor to, um, if, if you're doing things and you're including kids at a young age and you're getting them involved in the neighborhood and get them to take pride, which comes through the ownership, because you're, you're not going to, you're not going to protect something that's just not yours. That right. belongs to somebody else. Fair enough. Uh, so true. Powerful yeah. stuff. Powerful stuff. You, you bring up an interesting point about the neighborhoods, RG, about the kids that, you know, that come up. Because I know uh, we see Orange Mountain and Westwood. We see a, a lot of the older community passing away or mm -hmm. they, and they leave it to the younger kids. But that that knowledge of how to take care of the house, mm -hmm. how to take care of blight, 
And that camaraderie that you spoke to, Tia, that like if Miss Jones is sick, you go over there and you cut her yard, you make sure her air is working, make sure the heat's working in the winter. I, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, how do we get to that, get back to that point? Like, yeah. you know, how, how do we instill that, not just self-sustainability, but that issue of like you take care of your own. You take care of people right. that, you know, that are next to you. Right. Well, and I'll, I'll be, you know, transparent and honest with that. Sure. I'm part of the problem. Fair enough. Absolutely. Um, Fair enough. And, and here's the reason why I'm part of the okay. problem, just real quick. Um, growing up in Orange, man, I don't live there anymore. Right. Right. Why is that? Well, we could sit here for another two hours and I could explain to you why that is. Gotcha. The bottom line is um, those of us that did have the opportunity to gain education and know for whatever reason, uh, whether you have a natural emotional intelligence to it or you had good mentors to share with you, what happens and is prominent in this city and Tia spoke about the rise in kind of uh, African-American middle class and even some upper middle class, is we move away. Fair enough. So what happens in this city is you know, we, we went out to the suburbs because, again, the assimilation, it's, mm -hmm. it's easier for me to say, you know what, let me take my daughters and let's go out to Germantown, right? Gotcha. Why? Because I don't have to fight, right? I hear that. Now, there's other... You know, kind of subsidiary battles that you have to fight when you're brown, right? <laughs> like yeah. us, right? right. Mm -hmm. And that's everywhere you go. But what's easier to do? Go build up Orange Mount and hope that these other ones that think are like me are going to come help me? Gotcha. And so it's kind of like, you, you know, you, you say charge and go to war, and I'm running over the hill, and I look back and everybody's running the other direction. Gotcha. <laughs> that's supposed to be with me. So nobody right. wants to take that chance, right? right. And so... In, in order to, to get it back, there's got to be a combination of those that were there that used it to brag. Mm -hmm. You know, we're big about using it to brag to show how tough we are. Well, I'm from the north. I'm gotcha. from the south of Memphis. I'm from the mouth. So we use it as braggadocious words to try to intimidate. Right. But we, what we don't do is go back then and invest. Gotcha. Because we think investing is just about money. Or just about me having to move back there. And what we should be doing is we should go back there. Understood. And then we should invest not only our time and our money, but our energy I hear uh, that. that we bring. Um, and that's where the leadership comes into play. I hear that. I hear that. You want to chime in there, too? Or you, you... I do. Okay. I think that, and like he said, we are part of the problem because we're taught that, oh, I was poor. I don't want to be here anymore because... I associate that with being poor, so I worked as hard as I could to get out of my community. But Understood. in hindsight, in retrospect, my community is what made me who I am today, the hardworking yes. person that I am today. And there mm. are many people in my community that want to stay in the community, and I plan on moving back. Um, one of my colleagues brought up an interesting point. He said that, you know, the others... Um, devalued us and what we think about ourselves. So we gave up on our communities and, communities and tried to follow them. Mm -hmm. And you see the, the exoduses in, in real estate and, you know, just like um, we moved from Whitehaven to Cordova, I mean mm -hmm. Whitehaven to Hickory Hill, and then once we permeated Hickory Hill, then they moved to Cordova, and then we moved from Hickory Hill to Cordova <laughs> because we associate where they are with wealth. Well, it goes back to the black community and seeing our, seeing our value. You know, and in the next 10 years, if you look around, the investors are buying up our properties and they're charging us quadruple rent. 
So it's our job to take the initiative to take back our communities, buy these blighted properties, flip them, fix them up, you know, and help us take back our communities. Because yes. the investors see the value. They see that $1.3 trillion buying power. We're paying 60% of our incomes in rent. Mm. That's why we struggle, because we don't own. So taking back those communities and buying those properties back up and creating wealth and helping our children to see that it's not about following them or moving to the white people neighborhood. Right. It's about staying where you are and knowing that you are valuable and what you have is great. So Absolutely. once we see that, you know, it'll be a better place for all of us. Absolutely. And to join you on the transparency th train, that makes three of us. Uh, we actually are planning on moving back into the city. I am too. Um, as, yes, well. I so, am as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Well, thank I'm you for sharing, being transparent. I appreciate that. This next question, uh, try to contain yourself a little <laughs> bit. Okay. But I'm going to start with RG first. When somebody who doesn't look like you mm -hmm. tells you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make something of yourself, even if it's not to you personally, but somebody who maybe we like the people we did leave right. in the hood. What's the appropriate response? How does that make you feel? Just just go for it. Just, okay. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> freestyle well, if you yes. will. <laughs> so you know, so you know, we gotta stop allowing, you know, other cultures to define us. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, what we do a poor job of is we allow other cultures to define what's black and then we turn around and invest in that. You know, and you see that a lot in our media, our music, and things like that, where they're great at kind of segmenting us into certain buckets. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the only way of creating black wealth to dribble a ball and entertain us. Right. <laughs> and, and so we allow that to define us, and then we play into the stereotype, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and we do that from a young age. You know, um, if, you know, I remember being in school and, you know, uh, you know teasing kids about certain things that we thought weren't black, you know, or being teased about things that weren't black, whether it's music we listen to or people we hang around or places we go or, or things like that. So we've got to stop allowing other people to shape our narrative. So when somebody tells me that, you know, I've got to put that off because I've got to define that for myself. Right. Um, and not allow it to be defined because one way that you can, you know, control a nation is to you know, define their narrative for them. I hear that. I definitely hear that. What say you, Tia? For me, it's a double-edged sword because I'm that person that says, regardless of your circumstances, you still can rise above anything that you're going through. Understood. But at the same time, coming from another perspective, uh, another ethnicity could never say that to me because you don't know the struggle that I, as a black woman, being a double um, minority, have to deal with. I mean, you don't know what it takes for me. And you could say all day that we live in a, you know, we have the same opportunities and we, you know, you, I could do anything that you could do, but at the same time, there's a different struggle and there are different obstacles that I'm going to face that another ethnicity may not, and we and both head, know that's a, true. And a head start that we necessarily did not have. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that too. Mm -hmm. And But coming from, I had a friend, he was in trouble. I said, we came from the same circumstances. Pull your bootstraps up and get yourself together. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you're using this as a crutch to keep yourself in your situation because you're afraid to do better. You don't have the confidence to feel like that you could get out of your situation when you can. You're just using this as an excuse because systematically this is what you've been told and this is what you believe mm -hmm. to be true. So from a black perspective, 
I would be that one that says stop making excuses and get your together because you do have the opportunities out here to do better than what you're doing. But from, you know, a, a white perspective coming from or another ethnicity Absolutely. perspective, we go through different struggles. And that's still very prevalent in today's society, no matter how much progress we make as a nation, no matter how, you know, we say that we're equal, it's still not equal. Yeah. And you, you know, I never thought that I would have to deal with it, but now it's more prevalent than ever. And it's opened my eyes to a lot of things and speaks to a lot of the progress that still needs to be made. Absolutely. And before you say something, RG, yeah. I want to speak to you. You bring up a very powerful point, Tia, as far as not only being African-American, but also being a woman as well, because yes. there are times where, uh, and I just released an episode today mm-hmm. uh, about uh, about company culture and sexism, that yes. I'm starting to question whether this country is more sexist than racist. Oh, right. You know, I, I would say they're tipping that, and it's right. hard being both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead, RG. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's so, another show. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's another podcast. Fair enough. That's yeah. two, by the way. Yeah. There you keeping go. count. <laughs> you know, um, you know, not only just you know, Tia makes some really strong points, but it, it really kind of opened my eyes to something. And you know, I, I've shared this with people that um, you know, one of my purposes that I determined in life was I'm a connector, mm-hmm. and uh, some of this goes back to my bank background of I've been in boardrooms where nobody looked like me but me and mm. I had not only that but I was 50 years younger than everybody in the room oh, so um, it was a very male dominated room um, but then it was also um, uh, very homogenous with the exception of myself right and I can recall being in those meetings and being young and having to check uh, some folks that were a little older than me <laughs> who had some opinions on uh, African American community, right? Who made the mistake of thinking that I was going to be the the monkey boy, you know? Mm. Spook, um, spook, scratch, scratch, yeah. yes, you know, scratch when I'm not itching, yeah, uh, kind of guy, which was far from the truth, and uh, we ended up in HR for that, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. another, another story. But what it did, uh, what keep it real, goes to, wrong. Yeah, well, I actually went right there. Oh, fair but, enough, fair yeah, enough, right there, but. Um, <laughs> Because uh, I need to be there to stand up. Fair enough. There were absolutely, some, absolutely. Some people point. with some power that were looking to make some decisions on some things, that, and to Tia's point. And so that connector, what I mean by that real quick is um, uh, I've, you know, I grew up in Orange Mount, and I went to school in Germantown at different points. So I've seen people at different kind of socioeconomic levels and different mindsets. And what happens is both those sides, they don't quite understand each other. They're, they have fear and pessimism. So, you know, people um, on the uh, kind of, the, you know, your, your lower, more poverty kind of written people believe that everybody that's, you know, in a certain area Absolutely. got there because they stepped on somebody to get there, mm-hmm. right? And because they were, you know, given so many different things. Not all the way false, right? Right. There's truth to that. Right. The people on that side think that everybody here is just lazy and doesn't mm-hmm. want to have anything and mm-hmm. it's okay living off the government. Not completely false. Nope. But <laughs> also not completely true Absolutely. on either side. Absolutely. Yeah. And so both sides don't understand each other. What What's funny is is um, a little bit more rich, wealthy side don't understand that most of the people using welfare look like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right. Absolutely. Um, there's 60-minute specials on whole towns mm-hmm. that are mostly... Uh, white that you know fill Walmart on the third 
when they get disability right. and all these different things. The same thing that the government's looking to, to adjust and shut down <laughs> are the things that are going to impact them. So really my point is is that you know, both sides of those train tracks have to get that understanding and, uh, and respect of each other. And so that meeting that I spoke of was me speaking up to say, you don't understand some of the plight, you know, you know, if, you know, keep in mind, you know, for some of them, they made some of the same mistakes. The difference is, is they had maybe a few more outlets. And I saw this when I went to school in Germantown. Absolutely. Matter of fact, you know, I'd venture to say that there was probably more drug dealing going on over there than when I was in the map. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Another, again, right. Add that to another your third show. That's the third show. <laughs> All right. Um, mainly because there was a lot more disposable income and um, a lot more areas to hide because right. you don't have as much sheriff and police presence and things like that. So um, I would caution the listeners to um, understand that. So I Also, some areas and some schools control their narrative better. Right. So when I was in Germantown, if something did happen and the police showed up, Shit. didn't nobody talk but this representative. Right. They didn't, you know, they didn't let you go interview Pookie and everybody <laughs> right. that was around that could go tell everything and spill Absolutely. their guts. Right. You could only talk to John. And in some cases, John ain't releasing no statement until he say he is. Mm-hmm. And if he do, it's going to be very generic. We got this under control. Get out. Right. And so what happens is the news media gets out. Versus sometimes that in, in our Fishy. areas, yeah. they stay there for two weeks <laughs> playing law and order. Right. You know, because we've got so many people and there, there's no one really managing the narrative. And gotcha. so that's really what we need to get to. Okay. I appreciate that. Powerful stuff, guys. Powerful stuff. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up part one of this conversation, part two will be next week's Startup Nation. Um, I want to say if you like the content that you're listening to with Tia and RG, go back and look at uh, previous episodes of The Startup Life. I'll have uh, both Tia's and RG's episode in the show notes for you to listen to uh, for uh, easy listening. Last question for part one of this conversation, and it it comes from, uh, once again, we go back to the lyrics in the song, The Story of OJ. Y'all think it's bougie, but I'm like, it's fine. But I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for $9.99. As entrepreneurs who preach this gospel on social media through your clients, Tia, that you talk to on a regular basis uh, about how important real estate and financial literacy, entrepreneurship, all things of that nature, should we be vindicated by Jay-Z having this type of album and talking about this? Or should we be like, I told you so? Should we be a little salty? Or are we just glad that somebody who looks like us and is very successful are, are vindicating us in a point where, you know, and maybe somebody will start to listen. Where, where, how should we feel about this? I feel vindicated because, you know, Jay-Z is not a Harvard graduate. He, you know, he's not Obama. He's not Michelle. You know, he comes from the streets. He comes from where we are. And for so long, hip-hop culture has taught us that slinging drugs in the street is how you get wealthy. Well, here's a wealthy man, a billionaire here telling you that's not the way. So many people spew all this poison into our music and they're sending their children to Ivy League schools and college. While our children are here listening to, well, you know, I saw one with, uh, what's that rapper's name? I know his name. I forgot his name. But he's, 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 he's a hip-hop artist. Rap music. His son is graduating college, getting ready to go to an Ivy League school. But his music says, you know, uh, sell drugs, sell yeah, dope, 
Jeezy, yeah. yeah. It's Jeezy, been so yeah, long yeah. since he's been out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But right. since it's had something that I've listened to anyway, because right. I'm just so over it. I want I don't want my kids to mistakenly hear that. If they hear it somewhere else, then fine, but they won't hear it from me. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, somebody who comes from the streets, who comes from their updoing, upbringing, I'm not saying that he didn't do it at first, but he's showing you, hey, guys, here's a better way. You know, so I'm just happy to hear it. And it's not just this, it's not going to take this one CD. You know, we need to continue talking about people. Like, I listened to Tupac on 98.9. It was a message. We learned something. You know, it was positivity. He had his gangster stuff, too. But mm-hmm. life is multifaceted, and you don't only need to talk about the hardships, but how to get through them and how to make things better also. So I, I think that it's a narrative that needs to be continued in hip-hop. You know, I'm not saying don't get crunk and, you know, sing about whatever, rap about whatever you've been rapping gotcha. about. But we need to continue to educate also through our music because it speaks. It speaks to the masses. And however we need to get the message out, I'm all for it. So. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, Go ahead, absolutely. RG. Um, yeah, I think you know, vindicated it to some extent. Um, I think that what it does is, and, and Tia mentioned this was um, because of Jay Z's status and his influence on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It coming from him has a lot of power. Versus, you know, a lot of us uh, that are here on social media, we don't have that kind of platform, right? Right. So we might have been speaking of this, these kind of things for years and years and years, but we know we're a uh, society that's um, largely influenced by the the rich and the famous. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as as a result of that, having someone like that, and Tia spoke to the diversity, and we kind of spoke to this earlier, which is... um, you know, hip hop culture, just like all the other cultures, from a music standpoint, should be inclusive. So you should have a little bit of both. You know, all of our music probably shouldn't speak to you know these kind of things. You know, that'd be cool for some of us, but you know, you need that balance uh, all the way around. And some of the challenges is in the spirit of making money for corporations, mm-hmm. um, one sound gets pushed. And what happens is that sound begins to dumb down. And Tia brings up a good point, too, in terms of with Jeezy. And this is no knock on Jeezy. I love some of Jeezy's music, too. Um, but if you look at it, how much did his son listen to his albums? Right. And if his son had listened exclusively to his albums, would he have been in that position? I don't know. Right. I, I, I can't speak to that in That's terms fair. of. Yeah, but That's it's just fair. a question to mm-hmm. put out there. I can't believe I can remember um, his name. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, it's, it's so that, that's really interesting, you know, and and he's not the only one like that. Um, there are several other rappers um, that have kids that have gone on to achieve different things, or they um, perpetuate a message that contradicts what dad was rapping about. And them right. themselves, some of them have degrees. You're yes. not rapping about your degree in your college life, but you. Gangster out here rugged on the street. That's not how you live, really. Yeah, and it's right. the same. Just like a lot of them are married. <laughs> yeah, right? but they talk about their exploits with women. Right. You know. Right. Absolutely. Even being married, poisoning yeah. our communities. Right. Yeah. So. It, it's funny you mention that because I. Let me be fair. I am not a fan of the mumble rap generation. I, I, I halfway. Oh, I halfway know what they're saying anyway. <laughs> But I will right. say there are there are a few that are very entrepreneurial in spirit. One in spirit. One in particular is a uh, little yachty. He has like if you don't know who he is, mm. he has the red hair, does he have any other? Right. But he has sponsorships with Target and Sprite. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear how he came across or came up, you know, in his music. You know mm-hmm. that you know there's other ways to make money. Fifty right. cent and vitamin water. That Absolutely. was a big deal. That was Look a big how deal. that was catapulted him into being able right. to do other things like power. I'm pretty sure right. everybody watched power yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, just yeah. 
That's investment. Right. Investing in something and watching it grow over the long term. Right. Right. Absolutely. Woo! Some hot stuff, boy. <laughs> Some hot stuff. All right, Startup Nation. I hope you really enjoyed that episode of part one of 445. We're going to conclude next week with part two of the episode. And at that time, I will give my final take. Also, Startup Nation... Owls, our parent company for the Startup Life, has been nominated for the Best in Black, Best Home-Based Business Award. So if you would, we would love for you to vote for us. Uh, I'm going to drop the website in the show notes for you to vote for us, and we very much appreciate it in advance. If you want to let us know what you think about the show or would like to advertise on our show, send us an email to the address in the show notes. Subscribe to the Startup Life as it can now be heard on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Owls LLC. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life. The Startup Life. <laughs>